0: In my head, I was thinking it was going to be a little strange, like, doing this from home, uh, having our live event from home, and then you go and get fancy and go to a whole studio with everything in the <laughs> background.
1: So, okay, okay, so I have, like a little bit of background because cause I went to, like, I, I like share office space with my brother, and so I was just like, oh, okay, I'm going to go to the office to record this, but I share office space with my brother because he runs a studio, so he was like, why don't <laughs> on the microphone like different than the whole point of this room right. is streaming. <laughs> maybe you should stream with the stuff in the room maybe and not just on your laptop maybe stream.
0: yeah so there's but that but it's good
1: because <laughs> if I was using my laptop then everybody would be looking up my nose because like my lap I have that like you know how sometimes like on good computers they put the the webcam like right at the top of the screen, right above, so it's like kind of yeah, eye level. Yeah. But on mine, it is down by the hinge to ensure that no oh. one can see anything but uh, uh, the bottom of your nostrils. Yes, that's the... Oh,
0: that's not attractive at all, is
1: it? <laughs> yep. It's terrible. It is terrible. <laughs> so this is way better. I can even... Yes. So a this is a I good thing. You like, can. I feel like it's like much more real. Like here. Yes, This you is can. how you be a good ally. <laughs> <laughs> I promise
0: it's not of that. I promise it's this like zero percent our Friends, viewers, this is not how this is going to go. I
1: promise. I promise. I mean, I tried to make it that way, but Janelle was like, no, we should have a discussion.
0: Veto. And, you yes. know, veto. <laughs> <soon. laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, for yeah, sure. No, I, was
1: gonna, I was just going to like, you know, we're going to take turns. We're going to have all our panelists lecture for 15 minutes each. So and I are going to do an <laughs> intro and a conclusion. We're going to have Type 45 and yeah, be now. Obviously, y'all know how Echoes does. It's much, we discuss, we consider, we, we look like to. Yes. All angles.
0: We want to look at all the things, yes. So, um, well, as people are starting to come in, um, I want to make sure that we kind of go ahead and get started um, and introduce everybody. And so like everybody knows, who everybody is and and uh, what we're doing here. So um, for those of you who are joining us, um, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to do this event. Um, my name is Janelle Gray. I am the founder and uh, co-host creator of Echoes Media. Um, and uh, this is Chris, the co-host. Hi, I'm Chris. Jack- Jack the Ghost is around here, floating around here somewhere. Um, So if you've listened to any of our episodes, you're familiar with Jack the Ghost. You're familiar with with us as well. Um, But he is the co-producer, so he is around here helping us with questions that you may have. Um, So I want to go ahead and make sure that I kind of give you some heads up on how things are going to go. Again, for those of you who are joining us um, and who don't know anything about Echoes Media, like I said, my name is Janelle. Um, A little bit about Echoes Media and how it's started, we actually um, started randomly in the back of my brain somewhere. I wrote a book uh, called uh, Echoes of the Struggle, um, and that book uh, started conversations with a lot of my friends who wanted to talk about some of the things that um, they've been struggling with, specifically with respect to discrimination, um, to racism, to all of the isms, and and how people were dealing with it. Um, And uh, I decided to start a blog the blog turned into a podcast and here we are in uh, season three of the podcast. So, um, it's, it's a good run. It's been fun and we get to have lots of conversations, um, with people, um, and ways that we can continue to better ourselves and, um, live and love on each other. So, um, that is kind of where we are with echoes and to let you know a little bit uh, about how today is going to go. So, um, I've told uh, the panelists this. Um, the uh, this the idea for this started like what, Chris? I think how long ago? It's been, like we've probably said in our podcast episodes like three or four times. We should do, and we're just going to do a whole episode right. on like being an ally. Like we well, because, say it.
1: Yeah, constantly because so much of everything we talk about like kind of comes back to that. And I think allyship is a big part of the motivation of the whole. ECHO's enterprise is to learn how to mm-hmm. better support each other. And so this has been like a very natural thing for us to focus on, at, at least as long as I've been on the podcast, which is like a year and right. a half now.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So cool. we've, definitely, we've definitely said several, several times, we're going to do an episode. And so finally we're doing an episode and it gets to be our live event, which is um, inside. Uh, for all of the reasons that you all know, um, with the pandemic that's happening, but um, it's still a live event. And we've got these wonderful, wonderful panelists, like I'm so excited because you guys have um, different perspectives. And I'm sure you guys are going to have so many different tools and resources that we can, uh, we can use. So I am really excited about that. Um, for those of you who are also joining um Uh, there is a link I'm going to go ahead and put that in the chat so that you guys can see it. If you wanted to make a donation or purchase raffle tickets, um, the raffle tickets are on sale through our website. So you can go to that website at any time and get that. Um, the raffle tickets, uh, will give you a chance to, um, win an Echoes Media Swag Box. Um, you have a $15 um, Amazon gift card or a $25 Uber Eats gift card. And if you're anything like me, Uber Eats has all of your money, um, along with Amazon. Um, so I am hopeful that that will serve you as well as it has served me. and killed my entire wallet. Um, and, uh, one other thing I just wanted to kind of give you guys a heads up on. We um, don't have a chat available, but we do want you guys to be able to ask questions of our panelists. Um, so there should be a Q&A box. There is a way for you to ask questions anonymously if you would like to ask a question anonymously, or you can just ask a question with your name, or we will have a, a Q&A toward the end of the episode, where if you just want to raise your hand, and we'll bring you on video and all, and you can actually ask your question by voice. Um, So all those things will be um, an option toward the end. So that is my housekeeping thing uh, for uh, before we get started. Chris, did I miss something? Or do you just want to like go ahead and do the intro? Uh,
1: No, I don't think you missed anything. So are we going to go through and, and intro ourselves and our amazing panelists now?
0: We are. That's exactly what we're going to do.
1: <laughs> well, that so, is hey fantastic.
0: <laughs> so, hey guys, welcome to another episode of Echoes On Air. I'm your host, Janelle Gray.
1: And I'm your co-host, Chris Silverberg.
0: And we would like to introduce our wonderful, wonderful panelists. Um, we'll start with Mr. Greg, and then go to Mr. Mitchell, and then go to Ms. Foster, And then if you guys can tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and then we'll... We'll get you guys to telling us what we could be doing better.
1: Awesome.
2: Well, wow, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, this is a, an honor, a pleasure, uh, and, and I'm looking forward to a good time. Looking forward to a good time. I'm Arthur Brett. Uh, currently, I serve as the Assistant Vice President for uh, the Office of Diversity and Community Engagement at the University of Texas at Dallas, and I am excited to be here um, this is a, a great time to have this discussion about allyship. Um, part of part of what our office does is really help in connecting uh, individuals into uh, learning about each other, allyship, different programs. And so to be here to have this conversation is great. Um, uh, I, I love the fact that we are having the conversation uh, and taking it to the community. I mean, engaged, involved. And several of boards and, and different uh, organizations in the community. And so, this is also a great refresher for me to to up my allyship game as well, uh, and to go in and do some work on, on being uh, either a better ally or to look at what, what I'm doing and to see if maybe it's time to be a different ally. So thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Mr. Mitchell?
0: Uh oh, you're on mute. Give us just a second.
3: You know, by the time we're all finished using Zoom, we should be able to read each other's lips. uh right. <laughs> That's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> to start again. Uh, uh, my name is Edward Ahmed Mitchell. I'm a civil rights attorney. I serve as the deputy director of the Council on American Islamic Relations, that is our nation's largest Muslim civil rights organization. Our main focus is countering anti-Muslim bigotry, um, engaging interfaith dialogue, and promoting other causes of justice around our country. We have about 30 chapters spread around the United States, um, and alhamdulillah, a great staff of people uh, doing great work around the country. Very happy to be with you all tonight, and I look forward to the, uh, the conversation.
4: Alright, I'm Wendy Koster, um, I practiced law for just about 20 years before I sort of started this new phase of my life uh, that involves mainly uh, my kid. Um, when he was uh, in junior high, he started on this journey of um, exploring who he truly was, and. He also happens to be a theater person. So he was very open about a lot of it. And there were a lot of times where he was representing that community um, from a a pretty young age. And so I uh, had to be the mom and protect him, but let him be open and grow as well. And I have been so lucky in this process to have met so many People with passion and uh, drive and and people who changed their minds. People who thought they believed one thing and then experienced through family, through growth, through friendships, that that wasn't what they believed at all. Um, so I, I'm terribly outranked today uh, by the other panelists, uh, but I'm thrilled to be here and I hope that I can... Represent in a small way what it's like to be an ally day-to-day being the person that people know Oh, that's the one with the trans kid. I could ask her questions um, Not necessarily the person that they travel to an office to ask the questions of um, at the same time We talked about this a little before I feel like this particular issue the LGBTQ issue is Having a backseat at our house, at least, to uh, issues of race in particular, um, even through the month of Pride, it just it's not the right time for ours to be the main focus. But I am thrilled to be here and happy to learn.
0: Awesome. So I think the biggest question, or maybe the best question to start off with, is what is allyship? Right, It's super easy. Go for it. Anybody. <laughs> right.
4: Oh Very God. simple. Right. No it's big so
0: simple, deal.
1: Right? It's such Just a define question. the whole thing for us. Right. But no, really. <laughs> Whoever wants to jump what, in, please. What does
0: it mean to, Yeah, jump in. Who? What does it mean to you in particular?
2: I think, Wendy, you got us started, so I'm going to toss the ball to you.
4: Oh. <laughs> uh, well, I think an ally uh, is... is... <laughs> Sort of where I found myself, Uh, a person who is interested in fighting for a marginalized group that they don't belong to, um, but that they realize they have certain advantages and certain um, positions in life that help them move the cause of a marginalized group along.
3: I'll, I'll echo what Wendy said, and I'll note that, you know, from my perspective, someone who is an ally is someone who is also willing to follow, um, to be in service to people. Um, so one of the things that I do as a Muslim American is that, you know, when there's an issue that comes up related to anti-Muslim bigotry, Islamophobia, you know, I generally will take the lead on confronting that issue because that is my area of expertise that impacts me and my community. And if I see an issue that is more specifically directly impacting, for example, the Latino community or women or some other issue, well, I want to be in support. I want to be an ally, but I'm not going to put myself in front and take the lead and start dictating things. I'm going to offer to help, make myself available to help. Um, And if the help is wanted and needed, then, you know, we're there to assist, but not there to lead, not even to lead from behind, but just there to be in service to the extent that we are invited to be in service and i think it's also important to note that being an ally sometimes means knowing when your help isn't wanted and i'll give you an example there was a malcolm x one of my heroes you know he tells a story um, about how you know when he was uh in his activist uh, when his he was a little tougher of an activist and a white female came to him and said you know how can i help your cause and he said you can't because he felt that he just wanted black people to help lift themselves up first. And later he said he regretted saying that to her, that he was you know, harsh and mean, and there was a different way to deliver the message. But the message he still insisted on up to the day he died is that he wanted black people to fend for themselves, to lift themselves up first and foremost. And that's not always gonna be the case, but there are times when a community may feel they need to just unite and address the issue that's threatening them by themselves. Um, before they look to outside help to address it. So I think being a true ally is knowing when you might need to step back and wait for that moment to step in and assist.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with everything that's said. And also I think about the voice. I think, because um, I, I looked the word up. Um, I was just checking out different definitions. And one thing it, it, it kind of talked about was uh, coming together for a common cause or a purpose. And then I thought about that. I said the purpose. So what is purpose? Um you know, an ally is one that knows the why. Why are you here? Why are you doing that? Ally, I think also, a lot of times there's a voice in a space where the voice is not there. Um, and and a voice among those who are like them who may not realize that the voice is not there. So again, I like the the, the part about understanding when when it is the time to, to be an ally uh, and a time to kind of take that back seat. Um, and so, I really think about what is the purpose, what is the cause, and that it is is—it is a cause. It's not a moment. Um, it, it, it's a cause. It's not the end thing to do is, oh, I'm an ally. I have my ally sticker. Um, but it is in for the long haul and, and in there to make change, to make a difference, or even to just help others. So I, I, I totally agree with everyone
0: it's funny you say that it makes me uh it kind of takes us directly into the next question because you say it's not like i have my ally sticker or you know it's it's the it's the fad it's the in thing to do at the time what do you think are the common misconceptions about being an ally if there are any do you think there are any misconceptions or
1: i will say i'm sure there are plenty i'm <laughs> sure i'm sure that we've seen a lot uh I mean, I, I won't. I'll let you all answer what they are, but I'm willing to bet.
3: Well, I'll, I'll just note one. I think one possible misconception would be that people who are allies have to agree on everything. You know that I don't think that's true, and that's not the case. You can partner and work with someone that you may have common cause on one issue and a vigorous disagreement on other issues. You know, there's a funny story when I first um, got into civil rights work. Um, a uh, leader of the gay Jewish community in my area uh, wanted to meet with me to talk about ways we could collaborate. And obviously me being a devout Muslim and being Jewish and gay, people would assume stereotypically that there's going to be all sorts of conflict there. And certainly there are things we disagreed about. We sat down for lunch and the waiter put me in the back of the restaurant. And when uh, my friend got there, he said, "What are you trying to hide in the in the rear in the dark?" And I said, "No, of course not." And we talked, and you know, he said, "Look, I understand you're not going to agree with me on every issue. We may have a different view on same-sex marriage or whatever other you know issues we have a different view on. But we should both agree that kids don't deserve to be bullied and attacked for who they are. That no one should be." Uh, assaulted on the street because of you know what people think they are doing in a relationship, and so we talked about different issues that we could find common cause on, things that we could work on together, while also acknowledging that we were going to have very real differences on some significant issues, issues that were important to him, important to me, but that's okay. We were able to say yes, I can disagree with you on this important social issue that is dear to you, but I agree with you on this issue. So let's work together. Let's fight this battle on this point, and we'll just not talk about this issue. I know where you stand. You know where I stand. We can still work together without having to agree on everything.
2: Yeah, I liked it. And I, I think, uh, Brother Mitchell, you said something earlier about knowing, knowing, you know, when when to be an ally. I think sometimes the, the thought is, "I'm an ally. I've got to go in and take over the fight, show them how to lead the the the, the movement, and and be super ally as opposed to." you know, kind of assessing, understanding, doing the homework. You know, I, I like to tell people all the time, if you really want to be an ally, you got to do the homework. You can't come in expecting to take over and lead and, and not know what, you, what you're doing. And so I think allies are people think that they have to have all the answers and go in and they're going to, to, to win the, the battle and they're going to fight the fight and they don't even know what the fight is really. So, you know, knowing knowing how, how to be an ally and uh, necessarily meaning that people don't need you to come in to say,
1: I think, as far as misconceptions go, I think that's a major misconception. Uh, confusing, well, people talk a lot about about allyship, but also about specifically white saviorism. And I think a lot of people really can't quite tell the <laughs> difference between. And it, and it goes back to something uh, that we mentioned about following, you know, that, that as an ally, I think maybe one of the real definition core aspects of being an ally is that ability to take a back seat, to not have to drive the car, even sometimes where you disagree with tactics, maybe, you know, at least some of the time you, you follow along or you say, okay, well, I can't help you here, but, you know, tell me what needs to be done and whatever of that I can do, I will. But you know, not, not as much of the like, no, you can't do it that way because I, as the ally, know best and I know how you have to do it and you know, you know that I think gets into the more of the white saviorism as opposed to the um, as opposed to good allyship
0: well so the main question that we're asking is how to be a good ally right so i'm wondering and this is in in particular this is to everyone like what is an example of um, i guess two what is an example of uh, a good ally like that you have personally experienced, one particular uh, experience? And what is an example of a bad ally? You don't have to call anybody out. We're just talking about I mean, but if you want to call people
1: out, that's fine. You know, no,
0: listen,
1: listen. You're not going to turn us into a whole different kind of podcast. <laughs> That's
2: what you're not going to do for <laughs> So they're not on this. I'm
0: just
2: saying, be they're, they're, on right. they're not on this I, I week. I, I can say a a good ally, someone like I said earlier, who has done the homework, who is mm. who understand, who is taking the time to really understand the cause and and why, and they and they have the passion about it, and they're willing to say where where can I be used the most. What, what, you know, what do I need to do if it's if it's a call campaign or, or whatever it is? Where where can I utilize my talents the best? Where do you guys need me? Uh, and I and that's what I've seen. And, and and ask what do you want in an ally? Kind of like in this relationship, what are your expectations of an ally? I think sometimes mm-hmm. we we just jump in. Well, I well you know I was an ally in this, and this is what we did here. So I'm just going to move this allyship over here. Uh, and that's what I've seen on the on the on the on the bad side of uh, of not just not a great ally. It's someone who's taken all these experiences. Hey, I've got all the training. I've gone all this. I've got my stickers. I am super ally. Uh, I'm going to come in and save you uh, versus someone who says, hey, I've done the homework. I, under, I, I may not understand everything, so I need your help. I need to know how I best fit. And let, let's have this conversation around what allyship looks like to you. And what are your expectations? And here, let me share some of my expectations with you of what I think an ally is and having those conversations.
4: Along those lines, uh, I think something that's important, both in being a good ally and something that you can become a very poor ally if you don't have humility and know that you're gonna make mistakes. Um, It's just, if, if you're not part of the group, You're not even, obviously, you've got the job of educating yourself and continuing to educate yourself. You're still going to make mistakes. And having the humility to acknowledge it, apologize, and be ready to move on instead of (laughs) making it about you and your emotional response to it. Um, I think in looking at some of the things we kind of examined for the purposes of tonight, the whole idea of... It's the impact that's important, not the intent. It just hit home with me so hard that it doesn't matter if you were trying. um, If you're talking about a marginalized group, what matters is how did it affect the marginalized group and really hear that and really be willing to be criticized for not understanding the impact that you had.
3: Yeah, I think those are great points all around. Um, in terms of my experience, you know, obviously, so just to give you a little background, I um, shifted to civil rights law in 2016. I became the director of, of CARE in Georgia in 2016. So this was in the months before all sorts of madness happened from, you know, uh, Donald Trump being elected, uh, the Pulse nightclub massacre, Muhammad Ali passing away. It was just a, a crazy year of event after event after event. And so, you know, we welcomed any support we could get. You know, our community was under siege in, in many different ways, and continues to be so in some ways. And so, you know, I was happy to see that uh, people of different backgrounds were quick to join us at protests, quick to speak out when we didn't ask them to. Um, I will say that, you know, the, the one example of a good ally that I ally that I appreciate um, is uh, John Lewis. Um, you know when the Muslim ban was first introduced, the first one in January two thousand and seventeen, thousands of people went to the airport um, to protest. I was there, and there's a huge crowd. There thousands of people at Hartsfield Jackson International Airport, and all of a sudden I notice a ripple in the crowd, and I look down and I see these broad shoulders, this bald brown head. And I realized it's Congressman John Lewis who is, you know, come up and shown shown up. No one asked him to and is in the crowd, not even to speak. He did not give a speech. He was there just to express support. And he had spent hours in the airport asking about travelers who'd been detained and gone missing because of the Muslim ban. No one asked him to do that. And we all know John Lewis had done enough protesting to last a lifetime. He did not have to. To be there. He could have stayed home, issued a statement condemning the Muslim ban, and watched the rest of it on TV. And over and over again in recent years, I would see him show up, sometimes just out of nowhere, um, at major protests uh, against gun violence, uh, for DACA recipients, against abuse at the border of immigrants. And so I really appreciate when someone who does not have to be there, right? there, There's no obligation. They're not, you know, building their career. They're not in charge of an organization. They've already given what they had to give to the community and they still take the time to show and put themselves in the line. I really do appreciate that sort of person. I also appreciate all the other types of allies, but I also really appreciate our older generation who continue to be there in the fight. And John Lewis is there until he died. I mean, just a few weeks ago he was in DC at the black lives matter mural outside of the white house. So I do appreciate Um, those people who step up when they really, really have nothing in particular to gain and no obligation to be there.
0: So we've got a couple of questions that are uh, in uh, our Q&A. So just as a reminder, um, you can utilize the Q&A and we'll be kind of popping back and forth um, to some of those. Um, And if we don't get to your question right now, um, we are going to do a formal Q&A toward the end. So if you haven't heard it answered like immediately, just hang tight. We promise we'll get to everything that's on there. Um, one question that I think is actually um, uh, maybe perhaps in response to how we've defined um, allyship. Um, the question is, by your definition, of a good ally, would Candace Owens be a quote unquote good ally? Um, and I love that, like, there are people that immediately smile. So maybe uh, someone could uh, answer that question, maybe answer uh, a little bit about Candace Owens if you don't know who she is. And then um, I, she's a controversial um, person. Uh, right now. Uh, but uh, I would like to I'm, I'm like, Chris is laughing at me because he sees me like being very careful. Um, but uh, I will I will yield to our panelists.
3: <laughs> I don't know who wants to take that one. I mean, I, I don't I like to save my oxygen for beneficial things. But um, I'll just say briefly. So okay. Candace Owens is a uh, an African American woman, very politically conservative, a supporter of President Trump. Um, she, um, has expressed views that many of us would consider, uh, controversial, hostile to various minorities. Um, the one remark that she made that I thought was beyond the pale was a remark she made about Hitler and socialism saying that, uh, Hitler, what he was doing wasn't that bad until he, you know, became violent up until that point, you know, it wasn't that bad It was when he took socialism too far that he became dangerous. And that's just one of many crazy things that Miss Owens uh, has said. She also often will respond to incidents of police brutality and police violence by sometimes attacking the victim, like George Floyd, um, or diverting the conversation to the issue of black on black uh, violence. In terms of can she be a good ally, I would note that I'm, I would, assuming that Candace Owens is not looking for publicity or attention, assuming that she says the things she says because she genuinely actually does care about people, and I will, for the sake of argument, assume that, then in her mind, maybe she thinks she is being a good ally by speaking what she thinks is the truth, even though it's very controversial. So I'll I'll give her respect for being bold and saying what she may think is the truth. Um, But, you know, being a good ally is not only whether or not you think you're being a good ally, but whether the people that you are supposedly trying to ally with think you are being helpful to them. And I, as a black man, as a Muslim, um, do not feel assisted or helped by Candace Owens, even if her intentions are good, if they're good. I don't feel helped by Candace Owens and the things that she says. I think that she is used as a by white racists to justify and excuse um, the horrible things they want to believe. And they can use her to say these things and say, well, look, I'm not a racist. I'm not a bigot. She said it. So, you know, it must be okay. So I don't consider Candace Owens a good ally, but maybe she thinks that, that she is. I, I can't read her mind.
2: I, I would agree, um, you know, and, and again, it depends on to, to what group, like you said, it, she she may be a good ally to them. I think you have to define what's good for you, uh, uh, and, and, you know, we, we use that word good very loosely, um, and so what may be good for your cause or for that cause or the, a cause that she's with, she may be a great ally. Again, I agree, she's not, for me and my cause, um, I wouldn't say she was a good ally for me. Uh, she may have great skill, allyship-ish skill, um, uh, if that's what you want to call it. But I think it goes back to what's the cost? Who who are we asking for? Is there a particular group, Um, just in general? And I think if you generalize it, she may be a great ally for somebody.
1: I mean, yeah, if I can be a tiny bit uh, controversial, but not political, because this is a a non-political show, uh, I would say that... Candace Owens is a great ally to anti-anti-racists, basically. Like, she's really good at, at um, being a, a, a mouthpiece for things that I, I think most people who are opposed to anti-racism would agree with. I think that uh, a lot of them would say, yeah, you are doing a lot of things that allies do, right? Like, in theory, she's going into communities that most white racists don't have access to at least in theory, right? She's, in theory, she's speaking to a black audience that might not be reached by other um, white people who are opposed to sort of contempo- contemporary anti-racism movements. Um, and and she, you know, it's, it's kind of not part of the, uh, she's not a racist white person, but she kind of helps to advocate for causes that a lot of people um, a lot of people on, I won't even call them racist, but people who are opposed to anti-racism or whatever current anti-racism looks like. Um, yeah, she's advancing a lot of their beliefs Fault not being a part of that community, technically. So yeah, I mean, uh, although I will say that uh, I remember at the beginning of the conversation, we defined uh, allyship in part as being an ally to a marginalized group. and I. I can't think of a marginalized group that Candace Owens would be considered an ally to. But if you let go of that part of it, then yeah, (laughs) yeah. She's a great ally.
0: I mean that's a big part to let go of though. So like
1: (laughs) I mean I'd say it's the main part, but (laughs) your mileage (laughs) may vary. I mean that's that's
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And I think I think um, this kind of goes back to something um, that it's so funny, I like, I'm like, Mr. Arthur Gregg, like, I've known you for so long, like, I keep trying to like, give you eight names, Mr. Gregg. <laughs> um, but uh, it kind of goes back to something that you said toward the beginning, where you talked about, um, you know, what it means to um to someone in particular and I think um Mr. Mitchell you said something about like or I know I think it was you Mr. Gray that you're talking about kind of like a relationship it's a relationship where you're um Mm. trying to determine you know what does allyship mean um and uh, to you or to this particular person and then Mr. Mitchell's response is like when he said to me she's not a good ally to me I think that kind of those two um, statements really illustrated a very large part about what we're talking about, right? So you can be a different kind of, or your allyship can look different depending on who you are trying to advocate for. Um, it will, it will morph even, and not even just specifically to you know a group of people. It could shift even to a personal. You know, there are certain people who need you to show up in certain ways, and then there are other people who prefer you not show up in certain ways. And so perhaps um, the answer to that question also is, you know, identifying who she's an ally to. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I think we can move right on from this, from Miss Candace. That's, we're gonna awkwardly shift from that. How can we <laughs> um, be an ally as an individual? Um, And like as a family, as a group, because I think, um, you know, a lot of times in in like family settings or even in 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 work settings, you know, you you can be a personal ally to somebody, but you're also a part of a unit somewhere, whether it's, um, um, you know, part of some of your job or if you're marching a pride parade with your job? Or um, if you are being like, how does that differ? And how can we, I don't know, maybe participate? Does, does it look different if we're participating individually um, in that versus within a unit? I feel like I gave y'all a hard question unintentionally. It wasn't- I'm
3: not going first on that one. I defer to my distinguished colleague.
4: <laughs> I will say this, I think um, in our experience, because, um, the The family experience of having a transgender family member, um, it's sometimes really easy for an individual to take a step that doesn't feel that big, but is completely the act of an ally. Um, for instance, there was a time when uh, my son and I were at a play and it was the talk back and, um, the person who was kind of running the talk back who had been involved in the theater and that show in particular, uh, took a question or a comment from him and knew to use the right pronouns and made a, a point of it. You know, um, that's huge. Uh, if you are with someone and you were the adult and there is, there is someone who is struggling with being um, misgendered, to be able to say, "I'm he- oh, well, my nephew here will have, you know, the hamburger. Um, being able to kind of jump ahead in a family kind of relationship so you're not, <laughs> I'm the more important person, but being able to protect a kid who doesn't always want to have to fight for that sort of thing is, is so big, is so, so big. Um, and it, it's different from... Marching with the group and your corporation, you know, having a week of marking um, LGBTQ issues, but uh, the personal is what I experience the most and It it just hits you right where you live
1: Well, I think that's a good example because it shows how within an institution so you know as an employee of a theater or whatever you can Ensure that you're welcoming and I'm curious about like where's the line between Can a whole institution or especially a for-profit corporation can? Can that whole institution be an ally or Or do you just have to find ways to be an ally? Little ways like using the right pronouns inside of that institution, you know, especially in a moment like right now where where we have so many corporations, both for Pride Month and in response to uh, the recent Black Lives Matter protests, we have so many corporations putting out statements and making declarations. So I'm, I'm interested in like the, where's the line there between what we can do interpersonally in an organization versus are we constrained by having to work inside these larger institutions? Do the larger institutions, can they do anything really useful for a, for a protest movement? Can corporations be allies? Um, Curious about all that. So good point, I'm glad you brought that up.
2: So I I work in the educational uh, industry in the university. We have the number one school uh, LGBTQ plus friendly accepting campus uh, in the state. We're like number five in the the country because the university believes in it. The university Mm -hmm. supports it. We have a gender center that has an amazing staff Um, We've had um, different policies and procedures changed um, to accommodate, to be more accommodating to our LGBTQ plus students. Um, We've everything from dropping dead names to uh, what our our bathroom, our facilities look like to the services and the the funding that's put put towards it. Um, We have a large uh, ERG, which is our employee resource group. Um, that supports with, along with allies, we do a safe zone training, and ally training uh, on the campus. And so when you say can a, an institution, can a large institution be an ally? Um, yes. Uh, and, and, but it has to start with the top. It has to start, it has to be within the system and not just that one little corner to say, okay, we're going to put you over in this little corner in the back and you do this work. It has to be across the campus. It has to be across the organization. It has to be a part of the mission of the organization. And so, uh, so yeah. And so, you know, one of the things I think someone said earlier about where do you draw the line, you know, when you're talking about work. And, and me personally, if I'm down with you, I'm down with you. Uh, you know, work, you know, because I can't be several different people. Uh, if I'm your ally, I'm your ally. If I'm at work, I'm your ally, you know? And so that's, those are things though that I had to, when you go back and say, doing your homework and understand your know, why, why are you doing it? Why is this important to you? Why Why do you feel that you need to be this ally? And I, you, know, you have to ask yourself those questions. You have to do the work uh, and, and, and do that. And so to try to say, well, I'm going to be here and I see y'all over there and I'm quietly supporting you. For some people that works, but but for how long can you do that? And so to kind of, you know, put, put those two together, I think that, you know, we have to look at some of these corporations. And and my, my thought is with the statements, to me, the statements are almost becoming like hashtags. You know, every week someone's putting out a statement, somebody's putting out a statement, and after a while, how how long will, it, will we continue to put out statements? And the statement is just a statement. If there's nothing behind the statement but the statement, you could have kept that.
3: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I would say whenever I see a major corporation um, adopting Black Lives Matter, whatever other um, slogan used to be controversial, I get a little worried. Because if it's, if it's acceptable to them to use, um, then I worry about whether or not they have now figured out a way to co-opt it, to pacify it. You know, Dr. Martin Luther King was loathed and hated in this country. Uh, a pause broke out in many places when news of his death uh, broke uh but now even people who are racist in many ways will celebrate dr king and say he's a great example of peace and all this stuff because they figured out a way to pacify him and they're happy to to use his image uh for pacification purposes and so i just worry when you see corporations or even major politicians who pursue policies that are harmful to the black community for example suddenly being willing to say black lives matter i just i I don't necessarily feel good about it because I just, uh, it's hard to take it seriously. And I wonder if it's the first step towards co-opting something that uh, had real meaning and repurposing it in a way that will not be as effective or impactful. Um, Now, maybe I'm just becoming cynical in my old age, uh, but that's a thought I'll just share.
1: Well, if I I can follow up just a little bit, I'm sorry if y'all don't mind, if I could just follow up a little bit on that. Um, So it sounds like we I heard both that, yes, an institution can be an ally if there's like real commitment from the top. But also there's some things that we should be worried about when we see institutions start to perform allyship, you might say. So so can y'all can y'all go a little deeper for me on on what can an, an institution do to really be maybe even specifically for the Black Lives Matter movement? like what could an institution do to really be an ally? And then what should we be on the lookout for that might
3: turn out bad? Well, first, if you say you believe Black Lives Matter, but your corporation is donating thousands of dollars to politicians who oppose criminal justice reform, um, who engage in racist behavior, uh, then do you really believe that black lives matter? So number one, I say always follow the money when you're looking at major corporations. Who are they donating to? Who are they trying to put into elected office? Uh, that is the first thing I wonder. Number two is, well, how many of on your board of directors, you know, there are plenty of qualified people of color who could be running corporations. How many members of your board of directors? How many members of your senior staff? How many of your CEOs have ever been people of color or women or whatever the other issue is that you're trying to express support for? Um, So that's the second thing that I look at. And then the – well, actually, I'll stop. Those are, I think, two things where you will immediately be able to tell who is really willing to put their money where their mouth is and who's just talking.
2: I agree. I I think that, you know, the the corporation, the company that says Black Lives Matters but won't allow their staff to wear anything reflective of that at work. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, so – I can't wear this but you say it matters, so you're what do you this whole mix and that's, oh yeah, we're down, we're really down, and I like the piece that you said about where the dollars go because that's true, mm-hmm. where the dollars go who who are they supporting you know i I think uh, you know when you think about this whole the whole black lives matters it's you know well, if we don't say it, then people are going to think that we're we're shh, wait. A minute. But we've got to get on this bandwagon and we've got to, we got to put it in our, our slogans and we've got to pay money for commercials to let you know that Black Lives Matter. But then when you look at your the percentage of your leadership team, um, uh, yeah, the Black Lives well, Matter to matter.
1: For that matter, who made the commercial? I, that's something I've never looked into. Like, if you're going to hire all these people to make Black Lives Matter commercials, did Black people make the commercial? Right. <laughs>
2: So you have to really look at where, and, and who did they talk to when they made the commercial? How did they, you know, I, I, right. I've said a lot, I've talked a lot, and someone said this in the chat about doing the homework. What, is that, what does that mm-hmm. mean? What does that look like to do the homework? Uh, mm-hmm. so I, I think about uh, recently, I think it was Chris Cuomo did a piece on what systemic racism looked like, what it was, and he pretty much outlined throughout history how systemic racism played uh, so much of history. And so I say, you know, things like sharing that information, reading the books, understanding how all this began. Where did this come from? How did we get to to where we are looking at going back to to what um, uh, Mr. Mitchell was saying earlier about about looking at understanding where the dollars are going, where your dollars are going. So really understanding how we got here is doing the homework is reading, understanding. Uh, asking those questions, asking hard questions, mm-hmm. I think sometimes people feel that they cannot ask questions because they will be perceived as you know either naive or they're just oh, that was that was offensive and 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 you know a lot of times it's not what you ask it's how you ask it and so when I'm talking about doing the homework, I'm talking about not coming to going to your black friend and say, You know, I need you to help me understand the struggle, you know and then putting your black friend through this emotional labor, as opposed to you going and you doing the research and you understand how did we get here? You know, why? why what's redlining? It, it's so funny. We're talking about things now. I happened to be watching Good Times the other night. And it was an episode and Michael was talking, They were the Evans family was trying to buy a house and he was educating his family on redlining. And we're talking, this was, this was not, the Good Times went off a long time ago. So the conversation has been going on. So there's lots of material out there that you can learn from. It's not something that you just, somebody just wrote an article on yesterday. So when I say doing the homework uh, and and going back, researching, researching those companies that are talking about Black Lives Matter uh, uh, and finding out does Black Lives really matter to them or do Black dollars rather.
0: I want to get to some of these questions because we've got like questions stacked on questions and there are a lot of good ones. Um, So one question says, is it worth sticking with a large organization that is refusing to lead from the top? Can our allyship energies be better put to use within systems or structures that are open to
3: change? Oh, I'll just say briefly, I'm, I'm always a believer in, I am not. I didn't fully understand the question whether she meant, you know, if you're working for a large organization or you're talking about a business, a corporation, uh, an activist, I wasn't really sure about that part of the question, but I'll just generally say that I, I am a big believer in, in the importance of trying to change uh, things from within uh, if you have that opportunity uh, to do so. Um, so whether that's working at a corporation being part of an organization, no organization is perfect, nor corporation is perfect, but if you are given an ability to speak freely, to uh, make progress and to push for change, um, then that's something I wouldn't necessarily give up um, unless you just really hit a brick wall or if the corporation or organization is engaging in harmful behavior. It's one thing just to not be helpful. You know, a lot of people aren't helpful, but it's another thing to actually be harmful to people. So, you know, if you're part of an organization a business that is, Indifferent on the sidelines, you know, that's one thing, you know, go to work, get your paycheck and carry on, uh, you know, if you need to. But if you're in a business organization that gives you that flexibility to push for change, then I wouldn't necessarily walk away, I would just, you know, be hopeful and keep trying to change what you can. Because we can't say, you know, we cannot individually expect to save The world. What we can expect to do, and this is something that we're taught as Muslims, the Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings be upon him, taught us, is that you try to change the world around you. Try to help do what you can in the world around you. If you see something wrong, change it with your hands. If you can't do that, try to change it with your mouth. And if you can't do that, then at least hate the wrong. In your heart and that's the weakest bit of faith but the least you can do so worry about yourself your family your community your workplace and go out from there but don't worry yourself to death thinking that you've got to change everything right away all around you it doesn't work that way
0: and it looks like from if if i am seeing a follow-up correctly that they're mentioning working within the organization so as other people answer um, is it worth sticking with a large organization in terms of working within that organization is what I believe is being asked.
2: Yeah, I think sometimes you got to look for who else is blowing the horn. If you're the only one that, that's, you know, that's taking on this, you know, there apparently probably are other people who are out there doing it. Sometimes you know, the thing with allyship is, is knowing how to connect it with other allies. Uh, and, and so if you're the only one trying to make the ball move, sometimes you may have to step back and see, are there other individuals who are on the same page or, or, or trying to push for the same things that you're pushing for as far as this allyship and how do you connect up and work together? Um, uh, and, and, I, and I think that means going beyond folk who look like you and maybe who act like you and maybe who, who drive the same types of cars that you do. And so really kind of looking for, who are other individuals who are, who are in the same mindset and trying to work together. Again, you can't do this thing alone. Um, however, knowing if you're, if you're in there thinking it, you're not alone.
0: So there's another question. Um, it says, can you address how a person can be an ally um, after being told uh, that you cannot because as a Jewish person, person you oppress others, i.e. Palestinian people?
3: That's a, that's a very interesting question. So, you know, I am a very strong advocate of Palestinian human rights. I'm a very strong critic of the Israeli government's human rights abuses against Palestinian people. Um, but I would never, ever say to a Jewish person that you cannot be my ally because you're Jewish and Jewish people, that's, that's stupid. It's collective blame um, and it's anti-Semitic, um, in my opinion, to attribute what the Israeli government does um, to all Jewish people or any Jewish person, I don't expect that people, when they see Saudi Arabia or Iran doing something they disagree with, to look at me and say, "Edward, what's up with that?" You know, I, I don't work for the Saudi government. I'm not in charge. That's not that's not me, and I'm not responsible for that. Just like I don't blame all Christians for what Donald Trump does, even though he claims to be a, uh, a leader of the uh, the Christian community in America. So, I would just say to the, to the individual asked that question: If someone literally did say to you, you're jewish and you oppress people you know because of what uh, has happened to palestinians what they said is stupid and racist and bigoted now if they said to you you know you and they mean you in particular they know that you for example support the israeli government's treatment of palestinians and they say look i do not want your support as long as you are supporting the israeli government." Well, that's different because they're talking about something that's specific to you, something they know you do, and you can't begrudge someone you know, saying that I don't want to welcome your support if you are supporting harm to people that I care about somewhere else. So I think that's, that's a fair point and perfectly reasonable. But it's not fair to have a blanket statement of anyone who is Muslim or Jewish or whatever, you can't be my ally because someone who claims to be Muslim or Jewish is doing bad things. That's, that's insane and ridiculous uh, and has no basis uh, in activism uh, or common sense. So,
0: that yeah. was like a mic drop moment, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Right, that so was that. so on point. <laughs> it really is. I mean, and so said, there's that. <laughs> you, it, you know, it's, it's individual versus group. I mean, you know, and, and who is this person to tell you that you can't be an ally? I mean, I, you know, I, I go and question, you know, who, who gives you the authority to tell me what I can or cannot do in, in, the, in the place of allyship? And I think sometimes, you know, the question is that that's how we lose people, is that one individual may have had a, a difference with another individual. And so they will paint individuals all, all alike and say, well, you can't do this because of that. And you know, I'm, I was just raised, you know, to ask questions. And, and who are you and who gives you that authority? Um, um, and that's that, that works for me. I'm a, I'm a big dude, uh, you know. So, but I go back and say, though, I think, again, and that allyship, you know, I was thinking about something earlier about allyship and fear. You know, I, I don't believe that they can't operate and the, they can't coexist. You you as an ally, you got to have some tough skin. You know, uh, and, and if you're truly into this and you're truly about this, you got to find where your allyship is going to work. And it may not be with that particular organization right there, but believe you me, somebody out there needs your allyship. Don't stop because of one individual or one small group.
0: I think that's, uh, that tough skin thing is very important. Um, especially right now, um, there are a lot of people who are struggling with, with how to enter, I guess, um, into the conversation. Um, how, how do I come in? And what do I do? Um, but then, because they may or may not have experience of, of feeling, I guess, that negative pushback consistently, whether it is on the basis of, um, of your race or your gender or your religion or whatever it is, because they're not necessarily, um, fluent in in that type of pushback, uh, the first time that they encounter it, um, Mm -hmm. it becomes a little uncomfortable, um, and then it kind of pushes them out, um, of the conversation a little bit. So I wonder if maybe you could speak to what that may look like, um, for somebody and, um, like uh, how how to deal with that, if they're kind of pushed out of that conversation and what they can do.
4: I think there are times when maybe you'd need to take a step back and just listen. And maybe everybody needs a little bit of breathing room. Um, uh, Going back to the idea of humility and just knowing you might not be the expert in this. And if someone is telling you that now is not your time to be speaking take it for what it's worth and 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 if you are not the expert acknowledge you're not the expert take a step back let everybody breathe and then if somebody needs your allyship in a different way or in the same way they'll let you know um but i think you you have to be thick skin to be an ally and you have to expect to get your feelings hurt sometimes and (laughs) to take those feelings elsewhere and process them elsewhere and not make it all about you and come back when you're ready and stronger and and able to do the work.
3: Absolutely, I agree with that. And everyone, I'll just have to pause to note that we're Muslims, we pray five times a day, so it's time for me to pray one of my daily prayers. So I'm going to step away, take about 10 minutes to pray, and then I'll be back and join you uh, shortly, God willing. So
0: there is, Another question, I, I'm i going back and forth between like the questions that are on here. Chris, I don't know if you have a question that you thought was was good, but I can go back and forth because we, we've got so many questions. And I wanna make sure that we get to all of them before we end. Um, so I'll go to the next one. Um, what would be the difference between an ally and a resource? And then a follow up question to that is, um, is every ally a resource, or is every and is every resource an ally? And if I'm not asking that question correctly, let me know. Um, but uh, what say you to that?
2: When I think about what a, a resource, I think about what a resource brings um, 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 to the table uh, as far as um, quote unquote you know resources, uh, individuals. I think allies. Um, are, are, can be resources. I think allies are, are, are ones who are at the table helping with the resources. Um, and so when we talk about uh, uh, being a resource, um, some, some resources aren't allies. They're just specifically there to bring in, hey, I got this resource. Hey, I've got this connection. And, and, that's, and that's where I'm comfortable. And that's where I feel that I am useful or I am helpful to the cause. To where some allies or they may not have a, a, a network or a group of resources but they're going to be there kind of like Wendy said or or, or what uh, mr Mitchell said about they're going to show up sometimes in just their presence um, to be there they're going to to be where they need to be uh, and assist how they need to assist so I I, I think that you know they, they can be one and the same but they don't have to be the same
0: Kidding! I know how to work Zoom. Promise, I'm not on mute now. Okay, so how do you feel about? I think you made mention of this um, earlier, Mr. Greg, but um, about going to your black friend and asking them to, you know, walk through this trauma, whatever this trauma is that that you're asking about. Um, Kind of in line with that question about uh, being a resource. Um, What do you think is a good way for someone to reach out to somebody? um, for assistance in a way that doesn't become cumbersome because on a personal note, for me, it does get heavy. And it is one of those things that you just, you don't want to talk about it all the time, um, every day. And by sheer fact that I I run echoes, I kind of have to be in something like this all day, every day. Um, but when I have just a regular relationship, I don't necessarily want to chat about it all the time. So um, but I also don't want to turn people away. So, for people who maybe need allies and, um, and for people who are, I guess, reaching out to people as a resource, how, how do you um, suggest that people manage those relationships?
2: You know, it's, it's, it's interesting you ask that. Um, I've heard friends that say, you know, um, friends that I went to school with, um, 10 years ago, reached out to me on Facebook or linked LinkedIn and was like, oh, hey, I'm thinking of you and how are you doing? And, I, you know, and they were like, so this was so random, you know, and it was like, we don't have a relationship, so are you doing this to make you feel good that you reached out to your black friend or you reached out to your friend and you want them or, or you know, why? That 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 was always the, the question, it was why. Um, and, and so when I think about it, I think about being in relationship with people. Um, you know, sometimes it is, it's just saying, Hey, I, I, I don't know the trauma that you're dealing with. I don't know what you're going through, but I would like to be here if you need me or help. You know, if, if, because one thing people will tend to say is help me help you. I, I don't need help. I'm good. I got you. You know, but it, it, it's your wording. It's, it's being in relation with people. Um, it, it's, it's, it's that humility piece. I don't know it all. I can't begin to think uh, or understand, but I would like to support. And I think on the flip side to that, we have to allow people to help. We have to open some space to say, yes, it is emotionally draining. I'm tired. I'm tired of talking about it. This is why. Um, It's not about you personally. But this is where I am. And so I think if that begins the conversation, a lot of times it's the turnoff. It's why are you asking me this? You all you should know what I'm going through. And the other side is I don't know, and I don't know what to ask because I don't want to upset you. So it is a thin line, but it is it, part of it has to do with with relation. It, it's humility. It's it's being being in a place to say, okay, I I, I don't understand, but I will step back. You know, and so that that I think for some people is hard because they want to press the issue. But I want to help, but I'm really a nice person, but I'm not a racist or a homophobic. I want to be here for you. Where were you the last <laughs> 20 years before George Floyd? Where were you when the, the group was going to lunch and nobody invited me? Where were you when um my boss made remarks about us in a staff meeting so but now you want to help okay i got your number
1: yeah i think to build on that a little bit i think that it's a very good i think that people should understand that it is very difficult to reach out to someone as a resource without there already being a relationship like if i and it's true you like I, too, sometimes am just like, but I don't want to talk about this right now. But if there's a relationship there, so I know it's coming from a sincere place, okay, maybe I can muster the energy to engage you at least a little bit. But when there's just no relationship there, and now it's just like, like, maybe try to build a relationship first. And also, if you find yourself as the sort of person who really wants to be an ally, and every time a new issue is in the news, you want to... you want to learn about it and you want to be educated about it, well, that sounds like that's a good cause to go ahead and try to make friends with some people from marginalized groups before it gets in the news, right? Mm. Like, if you're the sort of person that you know, like, you know, there's going to be a Supreme Court decision in next year, and everyone's going to be talking about it, and you want to know how you can help, do you know anybody from that group? Do you know, have you been to any meetings? You know, be be proactive about issues. Think, like you can go through and be like, okay, I know that, you know, I'm not saying like right now, but six months from now, a year from now, when Black Lives Matter is not in the news as much. That's the time where you go, you know, I really cared about this Black Lives Matter issue, but I didn't know anybody that was directly affected how can I go somewhere and actually diversify my social circle so the next time that this is in the news and I really want to help and I really want to know where to go, I'll I'll know already because I'll just I'll already just be in relationship with people. And and not even just not even just any black person I can find. I just want a black friend. Like, go make friends with activists. If you're passionate about this, like go see if you can find somebody else who's also passionate, and that way you have a common interest. So it's not just like I need a black friend. It's like, I need a friend who has experience in this area where I have a strong I- interest. So yeah, that's that's also my two cents on the, on the resource and relationship thing.
0: I am interested in uh, what your opinion is on privilege and how that plays into allyship. Mm. Um, because I think a little bit, you kind of, I think all of you have kind of mentioned a little bit here and there, but I just want to ask the direct question um, and understanding that everybody has a certain privilege um, and that privilege affects, uh, affects, it can affect your relationship when you're um, seeking to be an ally. So um, maybe could you talk a little bit about how, priv- like what part privilege plays in allyship and kind of ways that you can kind of check yourself?
4: I think you start by recognizing it. Um, and, and knowing what you don't know and what you need to start learning. Um, and f- for all of it, for, for the good and the bad and how that's going to affect your relationships with people you want to be an ally to, and then how you can apply that privilege um, in a way that, that helps you or helps you be an ally to the group that you want to help. and and knowing that you have connections, that you have relationships, um, that you have access to spaces that maybe some of the people you're trying to be an ally to don't have Um, and acknowledging it for what it is and just moving forward from that without beating yourself up about the privilege so much that you just can't go on and you can't can't do the work of being an ally.
2: Yeah. You know, I think we we have used privilege. So um you know, we we I, I don't believe our privilege is bad. I, I think we, we tend to see privilege as a bad you're privilege you don't understand. I, I think because we're all privileged, I think when we go back and look at it, it's what you do with the privilege. Is how you use the privilege to be an ally. I, I think as Wendy said it, you know, you're in spaces, you're in connections, you're in places where others may not be because of that privilege. And and, and your allyship is needed there, whether it, it's raising funds, whether it's uh, resources. And, and I think it's how we use our privilege and, and check it. You know, it, it's, it's kind of like, how does it work for you? Um, if, if if It's like superpowers. If you use your superpowers for evil, you will be evil. You know, if you use your superpowers for good, you are good. So how do you use your privilege? Are you using it for the betterment of people? Or are you using it for the betterment of self? And I think that, that, that as an ally with, with privilege, you got to use that privilege to, to, to get in those spaces, to have those conversations, to do those things that are going to move to advance your cause. Um, but you got to understand what your privilege is and how... How it can it can be turned evil so quickly. You know, and so that goes back to 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 understanding the why, knowing your why, why you're an ally, why you're an ally with this group. What is it about this group that you are passionate about, about moving it forward? And then how do you interweave your privilege in that why? And I like what you said, Wendy, about not beating yourself up over privilege. People tend to beat themselves up when, when they don't use it in the right way. I'm that's I, you know, that's just a thought.
0: You you said something about like both of you said about spaces, and I think that's that's a really good. But I think I want to just one little thing. I want to make a little left into that. Um, when you're talking about these spaces, and you're you're with friend groups, you're with family groups, you're with these people um, that you're now challenged. Right now that you've kind of. Um, be, become more aware of of where your areas of privilege are and you're starting to speak out more. And now you're in an area with a friend or a family member or at work where you hear something and your instinct is to be an ally, right? Because that's now the muscle you've been working out, right? You've been working this muscle of being an ally and here we go. And then you get in that space where you're going to be an ally and your best friend or your family member or somebody says something, that completely deflates you what do you do then because i feel like in that situation it would be it would be easy to want to retreat right it would be easy you want to preserve especially in relationships that you want to preserve friendships you want to preserve work relationships that you need to preserve um what does allyship look like in those areas where you know that, as Wendy mentioned, this is the area you're needed in. These are the spaces you're needed in. And as you mentioned, these are the spaces that you're supposed to use your privilege in. Um, how do you how do you walk that line between using your privilege in that space but still preserving the relationships that you need or have to preserve?
2: I mean, I, I'm going to be fair with you. That's tough. That's hard. It, it is hard. Uh, sometimes you have to... Retreat to kind of process yourself, you know. And so you got to step away from it for a moment. I think we are so quick to react. We got to kind of step back from it um, because, yeah, you want to value, and then in the relationship, you want to keep the relationship with your family. And in a lot of cases, you want to stay in your family, you know. Uh, and so you got to you got to retreat. You got to think about your family dynamic, and you got to think about. You know, how what what's the best way for me to be an ally in this moment with this group? Understanding the dynamics of your family or your friend or your it may not come by way that you would handle it with someone else. So you gotta you gotta be strategic. You gotta be a strategic ally. And think of what is the best way that that they're gonna get it, that we're gonna get it, and and and, you know, as we said, we're not gonna fall out forever or until we had the next conversation. You know, and so I think that's the the challenging part about an ally. And I think sometimes people think that being an ally is that you go in, you get this peel, you get this T-shirt that says ally, and that that's all you have to do. Allyship is continue to work. You have to continue to work on yourself. You have to continue to work on relationships. You got to continue to work on an ally. What does that mean? And so I think the more you do that work, the better at it you become. The better you become the easier it is for you to have those conversations with those family members, with those friends in those spaces. Um, you're not going to just come out the box, super ally. But, you know, again, once you get your ally sticker or your t-shirt, it doesn't mean that it stops there. The learning, the growing, the development continues for allyship in that piece. We have what's called um, safe zone training and, and, and I'm, I'm behind. I can be honest about that, but I'm about, two trainings behind, because things change so quickly. And I, I'm still on 2018 safe zone. And I I have my allyship there has expired.
0: <laughs> so
2: I've got to update, update my allyship to make sure that I'm still in line with what's going on. So I think with that is just a, a simple answer to your question, for me, it really is to it's an ongoing process as an ally and you got to understand and know the dynamics and how to have those conversations in those places with family and friends
4: i went through all of these questions with my kid because you know i'm i'm not the lgbtq person so we we visited about all of them and something he brought up to me which is so obvious but you sometimes get so caught up in trying to get the right answer to the question. It's just imagine what it's like to be the marginalized person in that conversation, in that workplace, in that family. Um, And you've got to weigh that too. Um, It doesn't mean you trash every job, you trash every family, but you've got to weigh what your allyship means to you as well. And, and what you're able to do in that specific situation, given your privilege And given the leeway that you think you have or you don't have.
0: Mr. Mitchell, you came back just in time. There's a question for you. Uh,
3: Um, Depends on what the question is. Maybe it's bad timing. Let's let's see what it is. (laughs) (laughs)
0: So it says, uh, Edward spoke about being an ally with nothing to gain. I believe one of the misconceptions in my mind is that everyone has to be on the front lines. I was wondering for those who may be afraid of uh, backlash for showing support, um, i.e. losing their job. Um, but still want to be a good ally. How can they do so? So I think this is going back to when you spoke about uh, working from the inside.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, everyone, you know, can should do what they can. I mean, no one, no one is asking. I'm certainly, as a Muslim, would never ask a quote unquote ally to to give up their livelihood and put their family at risk. Um, you know, by by posting something on Facebook or joining a protest, because at the end of the day, your presence there is not going to decide whether or not we keep our civil rights or not. It will help. It'll be one step in the struggle, but I also don't want harm to come to you unnecessarily. So I think people should do, you know, what they can do up to the point that they can do it and it's not going to be unduly harmful to them or their families. Now, having said that, if you're willing, you know, to take the risk and take the hit, Um, In those circumstances in order because you think it's so important to express solidarity with your neighbors, then by all means, go for it. But just know that that is your decision to make. I'm not expecting that from you. And I'm not going to fault you. If you choose not to make that decision, everyone has got to feel comfortable doing, you know what they can, I would only ask that you do no harm. I'm not saying you have got to help but at least uh, do no harm is all I would ask if you feel like you can Now, if you want to do something, you feel like you can't do public things, then of course you can always privately donate. You can send a private message of support and solidarity. I'll tell you that some of the most heartening things that I've received uh, as a Muslim civil rights, quote unquote leader, are just the private message from people saying, saw you in the news, I'm with you. You know, this is a, sh- a shame what's happening. Uh, At my local mosque, we, after, um, I can't remember if it was the Muslim ban or the the shooting in New Zealand, but after some negative incident, a woman left a piece of paper saying, I'm not a Muslim, but, you know, I believe everyone has the right to practice their religion. Here's $20. That's what I can spare. And I wish you all well. We still got that letter posted up in our mosque several years later. It was $20. It was a nice little letter. Didn't change much, but it was appreciated. So even little small gestures like that will make you feel good makes us feel good, and you still got your job at the end of the day. So whatever you can do, um, you know, without unduly harming yourself, you know, go for it, God willing. But again, we're not demanding you put yourself at risk. Um, if you want to do that, great, go for it. But, you know, make that decision yourself.
1: And if I, if I can, I want to seize on something you just said um, with regards to do no harm. And um, in our, our previous question that we were discussing, we were talking about sort of how to be and allies in that interpersonal way and you know how to how to talk like an ally when you're in a conversation that may you know veer into a a, into an inappropriate or to a um in a racist or a homophobic or whatever direction Um, and i think that do no harm point is really valuable because you may not always have you may not always be willing to take the risk of standing up and saying that's the most racist thing i've ever heard But honestly, I feel like going conspicuously quiet can be actually pretty a way to signal something without saying anything. You know, when a conversation goes in a certain direction, maybe you don't feel ready to stand up and and declare anything, but like, I'm just going to kind of fade out of this conversation, I'm not going to say anything, I'm going to look a little uncomfortable. A lot of times people will get the message even just from that.
3: Yeah, silence can be acquiescence. Absolutely. No, I think that's that's a very fair point. Again, it depends on circumstances, right? If you are in the midst of seeing something wrong happening, right, and if your silence would then make you a party to what mm-hmm. is wrong being said or done, then you know, you may have an obligation obligation to use it. Maybe then your silence is actually not do no harm, it's actually causing harm by emboldening someone to carry on. And in fact, when they see you silent, they may continue to say things and escalate things even further. So again, it's not a a one size fits all rule, right? I think you made an excellent example of when it would be appropriate to do or say something and when silence would actually be quite harmful, even though it's not action.
0: Um, We're like, I feel like time has gone by so fast, but we still have so many questions. So normally we would have... uh, I know. Right. How did that happen? Like, geez, that escalated quickly. So I want to make sure that we get to all of the questions um, because uh, this is as much for for people who are attending as it is for Chris and I because a lot of times Chris and I will say We have these conversations for us <laughs> like, We just happen to share that we're having the conversations and hope that it's helpful to other people But a lot of the times we won't have these conversations So so I want to make sure that I, I we do our job and making sure this conversation is for for you all as well So um, the other question or another question was how do you balance how to educate an ally and how they can be helpful and that uh, ally doing their homework um, and on how they can be helpful. So I think they're just saying, how do you balance, I guess, telling them, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, like I said, if, if I mess up your questions, come back in and, and clarify as we're talking. But I the way I'm understanding that question is, how do you balance like educating somebody and telling them you still have some homework to do? Like, how do you balance just I guess, for lack of a better way of saying it, how do you balance doing their homework for them and telling them to go and do their homework?
3: Well, I'll, I'll take that first since I've been away for a bit. So I'll, I'll jump in briefly and say that, you know, I think certainly as, as an African American or as a Muslim, you can certainly feel some discomfort when people come to you ex- expecting you to explain to them what in your mind you may think they should already no, right? I should not have to explain to you that white supremacism is a real thing um, and a problem in society. I should not have to find the stats for it. you should know that already. That's part of the thought in my head. But at the same time, you've got to realize that, that people in this country, many people live a very sheltered existence. Uh, they have been uh, cocooned, perhaps voluntarily, perhaps involuntarily. Uh, and so if someone comes to you genuinely sincerely wanting to learn you know i don't think you turn those people even if the question may seem obvious the answer may seem obvious to you and it may seem like something they should already know i do think that as a a civil rights activist as a leader we do have an obligation if someone comes to us to try to to some extent give them some education or at least point them in the right direction we don't necessarily have time to be uh giving a full-blown class on these issues though I, i do that actually one of the things i do is go out explaining Islam and Muslims the people. I've spoken to to political groups, church groups, the Tea Party, which is a fun conversation, by the way. Um, so I do that as part of my work, right? So I don't mind it, but at the same time, it takes time and effort. And, you know, I think people who are trying to be allies, just you can't always expect that a black person or a woman or a Muslim or a Jew is just going to be ready to stop what they're doing and explain history to you, right? If they're willing to do that, great but if they kind of say, look, I, I, I don't have time for that. You've got to learn some of this stuff on your own. Don't take it. Don't be offended. Don't be hurt. Just, you know, kind of take the lesson and, and learn what you can uh, based on what direction they give
2: you. I mean, I think this is a prime example. Um, tuning into to shows like this, to connecting to programs like this where you, you can put the question out there. You got folks that's going to answer. You got folks that's going to help you. Or, 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 or give more information on different things. I think this is a perfect example. Uh, and and Wendy said something a few moments ago that that just the light bulb for me. Um, the, the question with, with your son said about imagine yourself as the marginalized person. You know how, how would you feel? how do you think? You know, and I think just just things like that are helpful. Um, I think I you know again how do we how do we tap into all of these different types of programs um opportunities and and in relationship with others to ask those questions you ask ask others hey i really want to know more about x you know, what's the best way of going about asking it or how do i connect in or, or can you direct me towards more information on on x y or z Um, I I think that's, you know, it goes back to how we were relation with each other. And if we want to know, we will know there, there's a group of people on this, on this, uh, show right now who want to know and, and they found it. And so again, that's part of doing the homework is to, is to avail yourself, look for different types of programs, connect, be connected, uh, ask questions. And I, I wanted to personally think uh, Wendy, for sharing the conversation that you had because that was very helpful. Um, see, I told you i 'm about two years down on my ally training so <laughs> you you're, you're bringing me up to speed pretty quick there uh, <laughs> uh so uh,
1: as we continue to read and y'all can hear me right yeah you can uh as we continue to to take questions from um from our audience, uh, another question I want to throw out there is. Um, What are the obstacles to um, allyship between generations? I think that's a really smart question because like so many of the divides we see, you know, like even politically, older people tend to vote one way, younger people tend to vote another way, or at least they did before this pandemic. But that generation gap is is often so different. Can you speak to how how allyship can flow well between generations?
4: I think that's an interesting question that it goes There's so, I mean, every type of allyship, I think struggles with this, the difference in the way generations look at um, what they owe each other socially, what is appropriate behavior, you know, what their values are. And I think something that I have seen just on the LGBTQ plus side is, um, for instance, you are a gay man in your 60s, you, you might just think you know what it's like to be a trans girl in high school. You just think you do because you've, again, there are different privileges, right? And there are different ways of being marginalized. And if you went through that or you lived through AIDS, it's, it's tough to hear from someone younger, you're not getting me at all. Are you, or you get me this much, but that's not my experience. And I think it's tricky to find a way for younger people and older people to see what they share and to be open to what the other values and has, has experienced or is experiencing now. Um, it's tricky. And it's and it's hard to tell someone older than you, you need you need education, you you need to learn about me because, you know the, the person on the other end is like, I've lived a pretty tough life and you don't get to tell me what I how I need to be educated. Um, I think we've been really lucky in um, the way my son has been able to participate in some projects where they take, uh, they ask an older person in the LGBTQ community to work with a younger person. And for instance, they have a retreat over a weekend and they write a play together, the two of them. Um, Janelle, your mom was involved in one of these. She was one of the actors in one of those. And it changed, It, it just opened so many doors and opened, I, for both sides, but I think especially for someone young, to see someone who has gone through the struggle and to, to meet someone who transitioned into the gender that they felt they should have been all along in their 50s and w- what they lived through until then. Um, it, it takes a lot of listening and, a, and some real magic getting the two together to hear each other.
2: Yeah, that, you, you, you bring up a good point when you start to talk about the generation. Uh, you know, right now we're, what, five generations deep, almost six uh, generations deep. Uh, and I think it goes back to experience. I've, I've heard, like, a lot of the silent generation of the traditionalists who uh, were born, you know, before 1943 to say, I don't understand why all these white people are marching. Why? why? why, why? What they want. What is it that they want? because they don't, they don't march for us. When you have you know, your baby boomers um, who are, who are, who are kind of a little bit of both on the fence, and your millennials and your Gen Xs are saying, these are our friends. These are our, uh, you know, we grew up with this group. We've, we've connected with these groups. And so the, the conversation really, and, and I always say this to, to, to black folk, is we've been multi-generational forever um we just not have had those conversations or those labels and so how do we continue to have the conversation about when you ask a boomer about diversity first thing we're going to talk about is race ethnicity when you ask a a millennial about diversity they're talking about uh, skills abilities knowledge it, it, the, the the we don't get in the conversation it's not about race it's about well he down he's down with me because this is my boy We've done all this stuff together. We grew up together, we went to school together. We live in the same neighborhood. And so I know he's down for the cause. And so how do we have those conversations of what allyship looks like um, between, and some of those conversations need to be inter interracial, you know, to, to say, this, this is where we are. Because if you think about it, uh, the world has come into us earlier than we've, then we went into it back. Back when the traditions and the boomers went out, to, went out into the world much later. Now with computers, with, the world comes in earlier. My godson is eleven now, and for eight years he only knew a black president. So to him, he could be president because that's all he knew. And so the mindset we think about—you know—how do we have this this conversation? We have to have the we have to first have the conversation, Chris. And I think that's the starting part. We haven't had the conversation because we're sitting back again. I've seen people in some of the, the the marches and things who are looking at, you know, white, Asian, LGBTQ with this suspicion, you know, and not knowing their story, you know, and not mixing in the multiracial piece into all of this, but not knowing their story. And, and and asking the question, so why are you so down? Why, what do you want? Are you for real?
0: So I want to, yeah. we're, go oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead.
3: No, no, it's okay. I, I, I wasn't going to say anything particularly unique, I don't think. I'll just say briefly, briefly, I'll note that the intergenerational thing, it's not even an old person, young person thing. I mean, even among young people, I mean, I'm 33 years old. Uh, if I compare myself to my sister, who's five years younger than me, it's, it's like we're two different people. I thought when I was uh, 16, 17, I was just uh, a very, I considered myself extremely liberal by comparison to my classmates and, and fellow students uh, down in Georgia. And now I haven't really changed, but things have changed so much just in that short amount of time among younger people that my sister and I hardly uh, agree on anything. I mean, I, I seem like an old stogie conservative uh, compared to her just by <laughs> <laughs> comparison. So there's there's even disagreement Um, And differences between very young generations. And I think that's okay. You know, obviously, as a person of faith, I do believe there is such thing as right and wrong and fundamental truths. But when it comes to politics and political issues, um, you know, these things are debatable, I respect the differences. um, And I'm not going to think less of you, or not be able to work with you because we have a even a fundamental disagreement about how our country should handle a particular issue. So, you know, I just would hope that the older generation, the younger generation, you know, as we come together to confront um, injustices that threaten all of us, that we just have to realize that you're not a bigot if you're 60 years old and you view, um, you know, a certain issue, a certain way, and someone who's 20 years old views it a different way. You just have a legitimate difference of opinion about something. um, And to the extent that you can either ignore that difference or try to bridge the gap, that would be great. And at the least, if you can't do either one of those things, then uh, carry on and try to find someone to work with who you can.
0: I'm like waiting because my phone is ringing now. So like now you hear like whoever's calling me since it announces, so I'm just going to wait so Jack doesn't yell at me later and like, why did you talk over this? And you know I can't <laughs> use this? Okay, there we go. So I was just waiting for that. I was just talking my way through that. Okay. Um, so we've got 11 questions. And I definitely, like I said, I promised people that I, we would get to all of their questions. So I want to make sure I get to their questions. I also want to remind you if you want to make a donation or get in on the raffle, you still have time. We'll be drawing like as soon as we hit these questions. So click the link in the chat. Um, so the next question is given that white supremacy and racism are perpetrated by white people and being an ally, is there a time white people should not be speaking up to other white people?
2: I feel like a pageant. Could you please repeat the question? <laughs> yeah,
0: I, second, I second that <laughs> given that white supremacy and racism and again if you're still on um make sure you clarify the question if i am not saying something correctly um but given that white supremacy and racism are perpetrated by white people um and being an ally is there a time white people should not be speaking up to white other white people so i I, i'm i'm not sure but i guess kind of what i'm understanding maybe could be like um if, if you are both a perpetrator, can you speak? I am not quite sure about that last part, um, but maybe speak a little bit to, to I guess, understanding um, your role in, in white supremacy and, and racism if you are a white ally and, and understanding when you should be speaking up or, or, or not, maybe speaking a little bit to that.
1: Well, and also if it helps, uh, and I, again, correct me if I'm reading your question, Wong, but I think that we talk a lot about how, you know, don't always go to your marginalized friend for answers, and also, like, how white people can go into a space that black people can't, or there are things that will be said in an all-white space that might not be said if there was a person of color there. But if, so it's like there's so much um, impetus in so many ways where it's important for white people to speak up, but at the same time I can understand as a white person, well, I don't wanna speak up because I'm gonna say it wrong because I'm, I'm part of this white supremacy thing. So I think I think maybe the question is about that tension. How do you know when to speak up as a white person, even though you know you are probably complicit in some way with white supremacy?
3: That's, that was an excellent translation. It's a good question, excellent translation of the question. So I think you know what I would say very briefly, since I know we don't have a lot of time is that, you know, if you're in an environment where there are African-Americans and others who are experts in leading the fight against this issue, then, you know, you don't want to be the first one to jump ahead and start screaming or fighting about this issue. You want to follow the lead of the people who are in the lead, right? But if you're in a situation where it's just you, a racist person, other white people, and no one else, they are not going to be corrected unless you speak up, then guess what? It's on you. So in those circumstances, no, I don't think there's a situation in which you shouldn't speak up if you feel that you effectively can, uh, you know, do so.
0: Well, so it's it. Your your answer is is helpful and maybe takes you into the next question, uh, which is how does an ally pull back um, with without kind of like a negative response um, when that ally may have overreached or overstepped um, either through through thought, word, or deed. So, in 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 response to I guess what you just you just said, now that you've you've made it a point to speak up because you know that you're supposed to do that. Um, how do you pull back if you overstep?
2: I think you own it. You own it. I think you own it and you say, hey, you know, I, I stepped out. I, I overspoke or I misspoke or I, I made a mistake or I may not. I think you have to own it and be OK with that and then move forward.
0: Well, and so another question.
1: Go ahead. Go ahead. sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead.
0: No, go ahead. No, no, no. A lot of the stuff. Go ahead. Well, of- I was
1: going to say, it reminds me of a lot of the stuff that Wendy's been saying about just, you don't get to be fragile. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you're going to get embarrassed. And like being an ally, it's hard. So I think that's the moment where as an ally, you say, you know what? I didn't get in this to be comfortable and happy all the time. I got in this to help. And so that's how I'm going to, you know, work through whatever pushback I get, step back, own it, like you said, and then, you know, Onward with the work. Maybe educate myself on that thing I messed up.
0: That that one's a good one. Maybe like once you've owned it, like what now? Going deeper into that because it it may have been really easy for you to misspeak out of out of an ignorance in that particular in that particular area. So maybe going even deeper um, into the thing that you messed up. So that that's that's good. Um, as a member of a minority group, does it make it? easier to be an ally for members of different minority groups how can i be sure to not take away the focus from the group i'm trying to act as an ally for which i think is a great question and i right. often have this question myself so yes i'm gonna be quiet so you guys can tell me what to do
3: <laughs> so um i'll say um you know as a a black man that's one group as a muslim that's another group um, and so you know I really number one, I really don't think of myself I try not to think of myself as a marginalized this or marginalized that i it's just it's, um, I think it's personally demeaning to me, so I don't think of myself that way and I but obviously there's no way to ignore the fact that you are um, a minority, that you are black, that you are Muslim, that you are uh, this and that in the society. and so for me, um, I think it absolutely does make it easier to ally with other minority groups because to some extent, you can understand what they're going through not fully because every group is different what i go through is a black man is different than what a woman goes through different than what a, a jewish person goes through everyone has different experiences but when you are a minority in this country when you have been targeted um because of who you are what you believe or how you look um then you are able to some extent to understand Um, other people who have gone through those similar experiences better than someone who has lived a life of privilege and never experienced those things. And I think you also have the credibility where you're more easily welcomed, um, you know, as an ally, um, a close ally in those circumstances um, without having to go through 99 questions. Um, So I I think that that is true, that it can be easier if you are a minority that has experienced some stuff to partner with other uh, minorities. But just being a minority doesn't mean you're good and you're cool and that you can easily part with minorities. Remember, there are um, other minorities who do just as much harm um, as people in the majority race. In fact, the, the question earlier mentioned white supremacism and racism are perpetrated by white people. Well, that's not true. Number one, racism can be anti black, anti white, anti Arab, whatever. So that's the first thing. But number two, there are black people who perpetrate white supremacism. We talked about a certain individual earlier who I will not not mention the name again, but there are black people who knowingly or unknowingly participate in the system and further the system. Um, And so just being a minority does not mean you're cool and you understand everything, but it can help depending on your experiences.
0: I like that like everybody gives a thumbs up like, yes, me too, control C, control V. Um, Okay. (laughs) Like, we're, we're getting through
1: these questions. We're burning through these
0: questions. It's a lot. <laughs> Right. Yes, yes. Here we go. Um, so what are some specific ways we can incorporate inclusion as being a good ally, be it professional or in a social environment?
2: When I think of inclusion, I think about who's at the table and, and then seeing who's at the table, making sure that everybody's voice is heard at the table. Not just because you're there, it doesn't mean your voice is heard, but, but, Inviting people into the conversation. I think sometimes we get so, so riled up in the conversation that we don't invite people into the conversation. So it goes back and how do we invite individuals into the conversation to hear their voice, which should create inclusion, because then there's all the voices that are spoken or heard from at the table. <laughs>
0: perfect also that was really no that was really important because it's not just about i i think it is easy to look at the board and we're just like yes now we've got these faces on the board we're good but hearing making sure everybody is heard is very very important i think that's sometimes we i think we we take the first step and then we just stop and and that's an example of how we take the step of including somebody but we still exclude them once they're in the building. Um, so that's, that's a really, really good point. <laughs> um, uh, so let's see, another question. Do you have any recommendations on identifying your own biases, privileges, and blind spots in order to improve your ability to be an ally? Is it simply a matter of during, doing your research and accepting that you will make mistakes and being open to being corrected?
2: you know, one of the things that we do, we do a uh, inventory. So we, we list everything, gender, race, se- uh, sexual identity, gender identity, and we just go through and we look at what are, what are the things that you are um, uh, aware of on a daily basis? What are the things that you're not aware of? To kind of do the inventory to see where, where you know, who are we? And then to think about what are our biases? What are the things that we, we know that? So part of it is doing some inner work some biases, you know, to, to check your own biases. What, what, and then where does that come from? And 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 then to do the work on those. I think a lot of times we're we're quick not to do self inventory because we're so busy focused on on the 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 group, the the making the difference in the larger group. But really, it begins with self and doing that self inventory uh, and and understanding, checking our own biases and, and understanding how we have and what they are and calling them out. And that's the tough work.
4: You know, we kind of talked about this uh, in a similar way leading up to tonight. And so I asked my kid again, uh, what he thought, and I thought this was an interesting way of putting it. Uh, Turn off the part of your brain that tells you you're a good ally. Turn that part off and then listen. And then look, Um, if you've got somebody you can trust and don't feel like you're putting them under too much emotional labor, ask them. But I, I think it's so easy to get to a point in your life, in your allyship, in the ways that you see yourself as, say, a liberal, um, to be like, I, I got this. It doesn't matter what the cause is. I'm going to have the right answer because I'm an ally. And taking a moment to just remove that filter for yourself and really listen and, and really think of impact versus intention, um, it makes a difference. Listen, that kid of yours, he's, <laughs> he's all right.
0: He's something, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, <yeah>, yeah. um, <laughs> um, Okay, how do we be a good ally in regards to these large companies that are just being performative or not even acknowledging that Black Lives Matter at all? Is the answer boycott or try to change them in other ways?
3: So I don't, you know, if a company, let's say a company decides to embrace the Black Lives Matter slogan, and let's say you think they're being insincere, you know, I don't think the response to that is we're going to boycott you because even though you said something we like, we don't think you really mean it, so we're not going to use your product anymore. I don't think that's an effective way to handle it. It's just going to scare people who may have good intentions out of trying to even do that much. So I think what the way to handle is to say, all right, great, thank you for that. Now how are you going to put the words that you've embraced into action, right, is to push them to take the next step, not to just say, oh, congratulations, great, thank you, we're, we're so happy, and now it's all done. But no, all right, now that you've expressed that you believe this, that you believe Black Lives Matter, then what are you going to do to show it? And, you know, open those those lines of dialogue and get some concrete commitments, uh, and proposals. Um, you know, I, I, we don't have a lot of time, so I'll just briefly say, um, you know, right now in China, there are about a million Uyghur Muslims locked in concentration camps being forced to, um, give up their belief in God and their culture. And I sat down with uh, very high ranking executives at Coca-Cola and they, before we even took it to, uh, because Coca-Cola has a factory in this area and the factory is possibly benefiting from forced labor from people in these camps. And so we sat down with Coca-Cola and before we could even get into the discussion about the issue, they spent the first 20 minutes showing me all the nice, wonderful things they're doing in the world to help impoverish people, people in uh, people in difficult circumstances. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not saying that I thought they thought that was going to mollify me, but, you know, for me, that only reinforced, like if you believe in helping people through your corporation, then you should be even more committed to not having factories open that are potentially benefiting from forced labor. So again, it's if you believe this, you know, put your if you if your position is you only care about money and that's what you see from the beginning, then okay, I expect nothing more from you. But if you want to put yourself out there and say, I care about people, I care about human lives, then put your money where your mouth is.
2: And, and that's a great point. Can I say this real quick? This thing about the boycott of <laughs> the company, this one day I'm gonna boycott Walmart because you're gonna shop the day before or the day after because they're gonna get the money that you didn't spend that one day. I just want to say this, if you're going to, the question I want to ask is, what are you willing to sacrifice? The bus boycott, those, those folks walked for weeks. It wasn't like, well, we're going to not walk, ride the bus for one day, and then we're going to go back to ride the bus, or we're going to ride the bus. The, the question is, what are you willing to sacrifice? And, and that's what, you know, I, I like the energy and the momentum behind that, but a one-day boycott of Walmart, really? You know, is that really going to make a difference? They're not going to really miss those dollars now of uh, one month, not for one day, two mm-hmm. month, three months, And the question: yeah. What are you willing to sacrifice? And that's why I go back to the bus boycott because it was the sacrifice was riding that bus every day.
0: So the next question is: How do we approach racism within our family units without hurting uh, the movement even more? hang on to, or without A, hurting the movement even more, or B, hanging on to important people um, in our lives, or while doing both, I suppose. And I think you kind of answered this a little bit before, um, but just in case they didn't hear the answer. How do we approach racism in our own family units without hurting the movement, and but also still hanging on to the important people in our lives?
3: Well, you know, the, in that situation, and I think, you know, I've even coming from a black family, I've, I've heard and seen things that were inappropriate. And obviously um, I've got white friends who have told me things that, you know, were, in a, were inappropriate. And so, you know, I think the benefit of having families say that is that number one, you're stuck together. Even if you call them out, they still have to love you um, in theory, depending on how far gone they are. And so, you know, you've got that opportunity to really be frank with someone and come to it from come to it from a position of caring of loving, not of I'm better than you, you're hate, you're a bad person, but look, I love you, I care about you, but what you just said is wrong, it doesn't make sense, and you're better than this you you raise me, you were raised with me, um you know, and I know in your heart you are better than this, and to be better than this, and this doesn't make any sense um, and so I think you know that's the first step is just directly approaching the issue oftentimes it's easier in family just to say. Uh, that's uncle Jack, you know, he's just being him and I'm not even going to deal with it. Nothing's going to change about uncle Jack and I'm just going to move on. But no, uncle Jack can change, talk to him politely as a family member deserves to be treated politely and do what you can. Um, and then, you know, if you want to really get clever about it, maybe you need to invite over to your house for dinner. The person who uncle Jack has a problem with, if uncle Jack's got a problem with Muslims, thinks they all want to kill him. Well, maybe uncle Jack needs to sit down for dinner with a Muslim and survive the evening and maybe that will be a first step towards uh, changing his mind, right? I mean, you know, so you can take a little further and, and think of what you can do. But I, when it's family, I think always be respectful. In, in the Quran, um, we believe that God says that if your own parents um, don't believe in God or idol worshipers or something, you still treat them with love and respect. And even if, you, if you're with respect. And if you are uh, familiar with Islam, you know that the biggest sin one can commit is worshiping something other than God in, in our theology. And so even a person who engages in that behavior, that, that sin, we are taught if they're your parents, you treat them with respect. You don't even say oomph, a, a negative sound to them because they're your family. So I think, you know, you can approach this issue directly and forthrightly, but politely with your relatives.
0: So uh, another question, how do we, how do you feel about companies posting to social media about their donations? Is it regarded as performative or as a way to be transparent?
3: Can it be both?
0: I guess the answer to both. Yeah. <laughs> both yeah. both truths can be true. <laughs> um, would you, do you have any, any additional thoughts on that? Is it good, bad, or indifferent? Is it,
2: I think it could be both, but I think it's how it's posted. I think what, what, what's, if they're saying we, we did X amount, we did this, we donated this to change this, move this, affect this is one thing, but to say we, you know, donated X amount of money for black lives matters and, and we're good. To me, that's just, you just put it out there. I need to know. So you donated. So what, what, why, what, where is it going? How are you going to make sure that it's happening? To, 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 what you put out there. And I think the, 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 the thing is how it's, it's, it's put out there. Uh, uh, and again, if it's somebody new, I wanna know what made you do that? So it, a lot of it has to do is how it's posted. I don't have a problem with being on social media, but how is it posted? Um,
0: how can white artists create art? We're in the last three questions, guys. We're gonna make it, I promise. Um, okay, we go, we can do it we can do it how can white artists uh create art about racism that honors the struggle without appropriating or benefiting from the struggle and i think that they're asking specifically about race but i imagine that could be applied to other things too but specifically this particular person is asking about race
2: but you know the, ed- the educator in me always says, giving credit to those who the art is about giving credit to where the muse comes from giving credit to to where the idea came from, giving credit to where the art comes from, as opposed to saying, this is mine and I created this to do that. Give credit where credit is due.
0: Okay, Chris, I'm gonna let you handle the last two questions while I get ready to pull some names. I also wanna tell our panelists as we're coming up on these last two questions, usually we do a leave and takeaway, but we are running up on time already. So I just want you to have a final leave if you can. So if there's something that you can leave with the audience um, what would that be? So be thinking of that while Chris reads um, the last two questions.
1: Now, forgive me, y'all, because I'm reading this on a monitor. that's a little far away. So if I, if I mess it up, you know, have patience with me. But um, so this next question says, uh, I think that a challenge for some of us trying to be allies, especially if we're used to privilege, is that we want to get immediate. Uh, is that I'm seeing, You know what? Listen, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to stand up. One second. Okay. <laughs> Uh, this I is think what happens when you get in a fancy for new, for new studio. <laughs> right, right, but then like the question's <laughs> not in front of me. Listen, um, I think that a challenge for some of us trying to be allies, especially if we're used to privilege, is that we want to get immediate success now that we have a deeper understanding of systemic oppression. We haven't been in the struggle as long or as intensely, so we struggle with patience and or finding a life balance. Any advice? Spoiler alert, I'm a college-educated, middle-class, cisgender, uh, straight, white male. <laughs> yeah, so any, any thoughts on that That you get in and you want immediate results because you haven't been in the struggle as long?
0: Your spoiler alert was great, by the way.
1: <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah. Shout, shout out to the spoiler alert from that question asker.
2: I mean, patience. You just got to patient. You, you got to you know your why. You got to know why you're in it and you got to have them you got to stick with the patience um, this is not a sprint this is a marathon
1: okay and then uh, this is the very last question y'all so we are we are just like barely finishing these right and thank you all so much for your questions uh, and thank you to our panelists for your time and for your wonderful answers this i think this has been a really really uh, a great conversation i think people have really it learned has. from it but it has what hello can you hear me
0: no. Yeah, we can. I was just saying it
1: has. I was agreeing with you. Go ahead. Oh, I thought you said, what happened? Forgive me. Anyway, so this last question says, um, what can you do as a person of color when your friends who declared themselves to be allies stop their efforts, uh, but still consider themselves to be so, especially when you're trying to run a company with them, oh no. Uh, what is the best course of action, in your opinion, when this happens? as a person of color, is it our responsibility to call out these allies?
3: Well, so, yeah, I'll, I'll say briefly, as my last remark, I'll say that, um, you know, I think when y- you, you're you working with someone who is a fellow, a member of your particular community, in this case, a fellow person of color, a fellow believer or fellow woman, you know, whatever the, the community is, um, and they have declared themselves to be I'm sorry, if if you are, you yourself are a person of color, and your friends say they're allies, um, you know, but they are not showing that in their actions or holding you back, you know, should you call them out? Well, again, the same same advice I gave about family is what I would give about friends, only with maybe a little less uh, deference, given the lack of uh, blood ties. You have to be stuck with a bad friend, right? You're stuck with family, but not friends. So, um, I would essentially say the same thing there. It's, it's no problem to confront these issues. And if your friends can't deal with being confronted, that, then maybe they weren't friends in the first place.
0: So we're now, we've finished our questions. We, it's 8.32, so we're, we'll Zoom past. But I, I definitely want to thank uh, thank you guys for um, being here to our panelists. This has been amazing. I really couldn't have asked for a better way to do this episode. Honestly, this has been Um, Great. So it's good that it didn't happen when we wanted it to happen because it happened better than we thought it would. Um, So that's good. Um, So thank you, thank you, thank you so much, um, Arthur Gregg, Wendy Koster, Edwin Mitchell for being here. We really, really appreciate it. Um, Also for the attendees that that have uh, come and asked all of these great questions. This has been amazing. Uh, but I do want you guys to give a leave. So what is something, um, we'll go with Mr. Greg first, Ms. Coster, Mr. Mitchell, um, in that order. If uh, you will just go and give us a leave, what is something that you want um, our audience to take away with them um, after this conversation? How to be a good ally. And as soon as they do that, we'll tell you your winners and we'll be out. Oh, you're on. There we go. Simply know
2: your why and do the homework do the self-inventory and just know your why
4: i think in my case uh just keep in mind as an ally you have less fear of retaliation the the response you get is different from from the population that you're trying to be an ally for so speak up and and don't be afraid to do it because that's why you're there
3: i agree with all that i I would just say that for coming from the perspective as a muslim community leader um, you know, I would just say that the, the best thing that anyone can do, you know, for us to be a good ally is to try to address the bigotry that exists in their own midst they see in their own daily life. You know, as civil rights leaders, we're going to court with fine lawsuits. We, we got that. We're, we're fighting that battle. The thing that really could help us in the long term is changing hearts and minds. So if you know people in your circle, and you almost certainly do, uh, who hold anti-Muslim views, if you think you are able to have those conversations with them, great. If you need us to send you some information, you want to us to have a conversation with that person, visit your church, visit your political group, whatever, uh, then bring us along. I think that we are winning great victories in the courts of law, even the court of public opinion. But I do worry about hearts and minds, especially with one half of the country, that is following this madman. Uh, excuse me for, for using such a description because I know we're not political. Following this individual who does things that I find sometimes to be um, dangerous and disheartening, um, and so I, I really worry about you know those their their people and they hate what they don't understand. And I I don't mind someone hating me if they know what I really stand for, but I really hate the idea of someone disliking me and they don't even know why they uh, why they dislike me. So that's the one thing I would say would be helpful to the Muslim community is, you know, you see that bigotry in your midst, let us know and and do what you can to to stop it.
0: Thank you again so so much for being here. Like I said, I am super humbled that you were here. Um, I also wanna make sure that I take a moment before we leave to tell uh, uh, our uh, attendees who uh, the raffle winners were. So the winner of the Echoes Media Swag Box is Carrie Stewart. Um, the winner of the fifteen dollars Amazon gift card is Ariel Cobb, and the winner of the twenty five dollars um, Uber Eats. And I'm so sorry I messed your name up, and you know I hate messing people's names up, so please forget me, uh, forget me, forgive me, but maybe forget me once I mess this up. Nayoka, <laughs> um, Manuelos. Um, so uh, you will be getting the $25 Uber Eats along with my apology for messing up your name that I apparently do every time. So my apologies, I swear I will learn it. Um, Thank you again uh, to everybody for being here. Thank you for, again, the great questions. If you have more questions that you would like to send us an email, um, we will um, maybe sweet talk our our lovely panelists into responding to one or two more questions later, but um, keep doing the work keep taking, and and honestly, this is my, I know I wasn't supposed to leave uh, anything in particular, but I am gonna leave, take care of yourself while you're doing all of this allyship, it's hard work. Um, Social justice work, it's hard work. So take care of yourself. Um, On that note, do you have something or do you wanna brand us out, Chris?
1: Oh, um, you know what, actually I do. I have have two quick takeaways, things that I've learned in this conversation. I'll just give them to you because it's one sentence each. Sentence one, my allyship has expired. That was a word. Uh, Sentence two, turn off the part of your brain that says you're a good ally. I think that's remembering that sometimes your allyship can just be out of date. That's 2017 model and you need to get up to the 2020 model. And, uh, And then also turn off the part of your brain that says you're a good ally. Just if I didn't think of myself as a great ally, how would I hear this? And I think that's, I think that's great yeah. advice. So I, th- those are my takeaways from this conversation. And I want to say thank you again to all of our panelists. Thank you, Janelle, for putting this together. Like, Janelle out here putting together whole events, like in quarantine, via <laughs> Zoom, whole whole other model of organizing events. Um, so and, and of course, uh, thank you to everybody who tuned in. We appreciate y'all so much. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Thank you for tuning in for these live events. Uh, we so appreciate your support. And just, we appreciate you being part of the conversation. And y'all's questions were so on point. Your questions were amazing. Yes. That's all I have. The questions
0: were really good. Yes. Thank you so much to everyone. Create hope, forge a path, change the world. We will see you out there in the fight. Bye.
3: Bye. See you next time guys. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Bye. Thank you.